0: Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast, where we bring the best of change management to you. In this From the Field episode, Managing Editor Brian Gorman and Beth Montag-Schmaltz, Principal and Founder at 71&Change, explore the changing practice of change management.
1: We hope you enjoy this installment of the Change Management Review Podcast. Hello, I am Brian Gorman, Managing Editor of Change Management Review, and my guest today is Beth Montag-Schmaltz. Beth is a recognized researcher, practitioner, innovator, and thought leader in the field of change management. Throughout her 20-year professional journey, she has designed and managed complex change management programs for countless strategic and high-risk corporate initiatives. Beth uses her wealth of knowledge, experience, and creative energy to guide organizations and their leaders through uniquely tailored change processes designed to produce concrete returns on their investments. In addition to founding 71 and Change, Beth was a founder of the Pacific Northwest Chapter of Association of Change Management Professionals and is responsible for establishing the first US-based regional ACMP community of change practitioners. Today, Beth is pioneering advances in two unique areas of change management, developing best practices for measuring and tracking change initiatives across the enterprise and building sustainable change-capable organizations. A respected industry author of articles and white papers, Beth provides companies with the unconventional wisdom to reach and often exceed their business goals. Beth has a Bachelor of Arts in Communications and minor in Psychology from Baldwin-Wallace College in Ohio and an Executive MBA from the University of Washington. Welcome, Beth.
0: Thank you, Brian. Can we just say all that to say really I'm just a big change geek at the end of the day.
1: <laughs> that works for me. That was a I am too. So Beth, a, a curiosity question to start off. Where did the name of your company come from, 71 and change?
0: Oh, great question. One of my favorite ones to answer. Um, so if you think about uh, birds as they're flying in the V formation. Uh, There are uh, actual scientific data that says that they amplify each other's wingspan and lift by 71% when flying in that formation. We at 71 love the word lift. We like to lift ourselves up and our clients. The second piece of that analogy that really resonates is the lead bird shifts and allows other birds to lead the flock, which means you've got to build capability, right? So between the words lift and capability, it really became our mantra. And then, of course, we happened to start on 7-1, July 1st. So that was fun. And there were seven plus one of us. So it kept going from there. But that's really the, the origins of the story.
1: Beautiful. I love that story. Of, and, and it has such meaning for what we are here to do. Again, I love the fact that, that you are seen and, and uh, show up as an innovator being able to give lift, not only to your clients, but to our profession. Would you talk a little bit, first of all, about the whole idea of measuring and tracking initiatives across an enterprise?
0: Yeah. Um, specifically from a change perspective, I'll speak to. (laughs) Um, and it's an interesting one in that, you know, I think a lot of, uh, individuals, because you can't necessarily literally see the behavior change, right? You then therefore think, oh well, how could I possibly track or measure said behavior change? And I think we're here to kind of flip that paradigm on its on its side and to think about, well, actually, if you think about a big change that's going into your organization before it launches, there's a lot of perception based things that happen. They hear communications, They may go to a training class. There may be an event that they attend, Uh, but it's mostly perception-based, right? And I find a lot of executives will ask their teams, like, are you ready? And everyone will look around the room, be that physical or virtual, and kind of like do this awkward head nod, like, yeah, I guess we're ready, right? Well, why not quantify that, right? And not just guess at it at go live time, but what if we quantified it from day one And we started to measure perception before a change and you get a baseline. And of course, baselines at the beginning sometimes aren't good. Isn't it great to know, however, kind of what your stakeholders are thinking. And then over time, your stakeholders are the ones who are nodding at said executive to say, yeah, we're as ready as we can be, which is really the only way to, to ask that question in a realistic way. We've done everything we know possible to get ready. So with that, you kind of flip the switch then to, okay, said change is now launched in the organization, right? From there, it actually gets a little easier and that it's less perception-based and there are real metrics that you can measure kind of going way back to your business case. what, Why did you go on this endeavor in the first place? What really is the return that you're seeking? And I find there's some perception still, uh, but it's much more quantifiable once you flip that switch. But you now I always say like, you don't know unless you ask right? And I think that's just such a powerful, like obvious statement to make. And I'll give you a a real life one. I was facilitating a session last week and, you know, big project, go live dates, reorganizing, right? How that, how that team's coming together and looking at how they're going to launch and the executive asks, well, what, you know, okay, we're going to do this, right? We're confident. Like I, we're like, everyone's on the same page, right? And like everyone kind of again looked at each other. And felt this need to say yes. Well, what we did to give everyone a fair voice in that process, right, was to put together, you know, a survey, anonymous, and ask that simple question: How confident are you from a scale of zero to one hundred? Sure enough, what we're getting back is fifty percent or less, right? So the the question then is: Well, what do we need to do to increase confidence level, right? And so again. You don't know unless you ask. You can't react unless you ask. And I think sometimes we make uh, decisions and actions based on a lot of assumptions. So that takes the assumptions out.
1: Based on a lot of assumptions and a lot of, I don't know if you'd call it political correctness or scared of the bossness <laughs> or uh, all of those kinds of things that have the heads shake yes as the brains scream no.
0: Exactly, exactly. So, you know, I think that I guess maybe one of the bright spots, and now that we're working a little bit more virtually than we have certainly before, is there are, there are so many platforms that you can do anonymous survey data gathering, right, that are easy to use, they're pretty seamless, right, they're, they're definitely on the low cost side, and yet it gives a voice to everyone in the room who's having that conversation.
1: Beth. Give us an example of maybe one or two of the types of engagements that you bring this thinking to.
0: Oh my goodness. Um, Well, all of our engagements, but I guess, you know, speaking uh, like what kind of engagements do we most often have? And, you know, I'm a consultant, so I guess I can say it depends, Um, uh, but we we typically get, you know, really big fortune 1000 companies, right? With, you know, 20,000 employees and above. Uh, you know, typically, if not national, then a global presence. And it's either a back-end change, right? It's either some sort of, you know, ERP implementation. Um, It could be a big org design. It could be, hey, we just acquired a company, help us integrate. Uh, It could be, gosh, new CEO, and I've got a new strategy I need to implement, and I know it's going to have an effect on people and behaviors and culture, right? So the answer is it really depends, but we do Kind of all of that that work from technology implementations up to strategy and culture and the thinking is the same no matter what kind of change it is because here's the good news we're humans right and here's even better news even though we've all gone through this thing called covid we still act the same way right while we're on a computer screen right instead of maybe being physically next to each other a lot of the human dynamics that we've always known were in play are still in play and possibly even amplified, I think, now by this this current situation we're in.
1: Yeah, one of the, uh, the things that I often say is all change is personal. And then I also reference Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. Campbell says, you know, while we approach each change as if it's unique and unpredictable, it's not. It's the same journey over and over and over again. So the catalyst may be different, the environment may be different, where we are and how we respond to the dynamics of the change may be different. But if there wasn't what you said at the beginning, we're all human and all these things, there could be no practice of change management because it would just be in totally unpredictable free for all.
0: The theory of change gives me great peace. While everything we do is nuanced in all shades of gray, right? There is neurological science behind our work that is black and white, right? And so that's what we've got to lean in, even during times of, as you know, the most unpopular word, unprecedented change that we've all been through in the last year and a half.
1: So let's talk a little bit about that unprecedented change, because it's true. And just before we came on, I was reading Something that the number of workers who left the workforce in September, I think, was even greater than the number who left in August, which was a record. How are you seeing the great resignation impact your clients?
0: Oh, my goodness. I would say, in many ways. Um, First and foremost, where we see it, because we are typically engaged on these big, you know, kind of programs, is on the program teams themselves. And for these, you know, big, hairy, complex uh, types of projects, they're hard anyhow, right? And I think with the great resignation, I think is the the common uh, term referred to, I might call it the great awakening um, that we've been through. you know, I think there's more choice in the workplace than there ever has been. And maybe it was always there, we just didn't see it. And so these big projects that we're part of, you know, it's pretty typical for people to get burned out. It's long hours, right? It's a, it's a lot of emotions coming at you every day. It's a lot of change that you're leading. And so we definitely see it on the on the on the kind of big programs like their ability to retain critical skills, critical players, top talent. I'd say more uh, more over overarching from a business perspective is every sector that we're working in, we're seeing the shortage of talent right? And how hard it is to attract talent. You know, I will say one of the things that I've seen, at least in consulting um, and kind of the recruiting business uh, on my side is a lot of employees want to hear how you came through COVID, right? As an example of leadership and as an example of values and an example of really what that team is all about. Um, So I think there's something interesting to kind of looking back on how an organization came through it, really says a lot, I think, to future employees on, is that an organization that I want to go to? I think there's just more choice now, right? Folks are saying like, do I really need to be in the traditional workforce? Like I thought I did my entire life. Um, Maybe I'll go do my dream project and take a chance. I just think the rules are changing. And again, it may have always been this way, but I think people didn't see those opportunities as clearly as they have in the last year.
1: I absolutely agree with you. You had said it before we started recording, but the whole employer employee dynamic and power relationship has certainly shifted. One piece of the answer to that shift that I'm certainly seeing being piloted, being explored, being executed in some cases is a shift to a more flexible work schedule, more flexible workplace, more flexible work week, less work hours as long as for the same salary, as long as we're getting the same, same productivity. What kind of implications do you think that all has for us as a profession?
0: Oh, I mean, there's good and there's there's not good in that statement, right? I think, uh, you know, again, I'm in, I'm in consulting, so that's the lens I see things through, um, you know, and we've always been of the mindset of flexibility, right? We want top talent. And so therefore, to attract and retain top talent, you've got to offer that ultimate flexibility now. At the same time, we're working for demanding projects and clients, right? Who have uh, audacious goals and timelines in front of them. Um, What I found, at least in our profession, is truly bringing the best of a kind of unified team, if you will. Even if that means like top talent and you've got a few 50 percenters, I would rather bring a blended team like that together right. And have a really happy team of individuals who are able to balance work and life than not. And I think that's the way of the future. Um, I think that's, what's going to keep people the minute, you know, kind of work is invading, I think too much in your personal life. Again, now, now more than ever, there's this light bulb moment of like, but does it have to be, does it need to be, um, is this how I want my life to be managed or run? And so, you know, I, I, I think from a change perspective, um, As far as kind of big program teams, I think it's kind of cool. I think it's cool opportunity, right? Um, You can get top talent, 50%, 75%. And we've recently done that for some consultants who said, oh, I can't quite do it full time. That's not a problem. Come on in, right? And then the virtual aspect. And so, you know, had you asked me 10 years ago, would I be doing change projects and never having met a client in person, I would have literally laughed out loud and on the floor, but yet here we are right? And, and we've been doing it. And while I still will say I prefer to meet folks in person in a safe way, um, you can do it. And so now not only is it kind of work-life balance as far as number of hours and flexibility of what those hours are, it's also where that work is performed. So in my mind, if you've got to offer flexibility around all of those elements, all those components. I don't know how else you can win in the workplace right now. And to me, like that's a lovely thing from an employee perspective it's a challenge when it comes to leadership. Um, and I think especially for folks who are very accustomed to going into an office, right. Kind of Monday through Friday and seeing people in rooms. And so I think from a leadership perspective, that's where the change management, you know, kind of skills are really going to be amplified. Like how do we lead people managers through this new way of working?
1: I I think that's a brilliant observation. I've been doing a lot of work with the global four day work week movement. And, uh, was in a meeting with Charlotte Lockhart, who is one of the co-founders and CEO of the the whole movement. And she said, one of the questions we often get is, if we go to a four-day work week, how do we measure productivity? And my answer is, well, how do you measure productivity now? If you're measuring it by who's in the office at first and who's sitting at their desk last, that's got nothing to do with productivity. Yep, yeah.
0: This isn't a supply chain issue we're not widgets. Again, it's not first in, first out, right? It's it's that kind of concept. And I think leading in this new era is really going to make the like the, the make or break for organizations is their people leadership that they bring to the table.
1: And as you talk about that, you know, we're seeing such a diversity of leader responses to all of this from the Jamie Diamonds and and uh, who's CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, the, the CEO of um, Goldman Sachs saying people must come back to the office. We know they don't like to commute, uh, but people don't hustle from home or uh, work from home is an aberration to the, the CEO of uh, Wildbit who said we're going to a four-day work week. Uh, we're going totally virtual and our compensation structure will be location agnostic and everything in between. So for me, we're we're diverging a little bit from where we started, but I, I do think this comes back ultimately to your ability to measure. To me, the best talent is going to go where they feel best respected and best served in their pursuit of what their passion is. Yeah. And
0: well, I think and in, in, in the more clear you can be around sort of productivity or expectations, right, for your employees, right, especially in this virtual workforce, um, the more flexible you can be, right, because it's just really clear if you don't meet these four indicators, right, what have you, these metrics, then something's wrong. And it may not be the hours you're working or where you're working from, but let's kind of problem solve that together. I think conversely, um, employee satisfaction, right? Or employee engagement is kind of the other lens. Mm-hmm. By which if, if I'm an employee, right? Like I, am I satisfied, right? Like it, again, is work infringing too much on my personal life? So I think it's probably a combination of both. And it's a, it's a two-way street, not a one-way street.
1: If you could address the leadership of the Fortune 500 about moving through this era and their approach to change, given everything that is going on in the world today, what are the key messages that you'd want to give?
0: I think it's going kind to of pick your position, right? Um, you know, do you want to be on one of the extreme ends of the spectrum, as you just noted, right? So in you know, back in the office, you don't hustle from home, or we're going four-day, flex, work from wherever, salary is agnostic to where you live. We all know that this is likely a pendulum shift, like any other big kind of transformational change that we're going through as a society. Um, we likely are gonna swing, I think maybe a little bit more towards extreme flexibility in this short term. It's likely gonna come in the center, as if I were to guess, right? So. I think if you're one of those leaders who has kind of on the hustle doesn't happen at home, you might kind of want to rethink that strategy, right? I, I don't know if that's how you're going to win in this marketplace when it comes to top talent. And I don't know how you win in the marketplace nowadays without top talent, right? Um, so, you know, if you are on that kind of hustle doesn't happen at home stance, then is there some middle ground, right? Can you explore, can you pilot, can you test out maybe some, Not super extreme approaches like four day work week, right? Or salaries agnostic to where you live. But is there some pilots you can run to start to explore so that you're not so far on that edge and on that cusp and you're somewhere in the middle? Because I I do believe over time, if we look, you know, 10 years into the future, we'll probably look back and say, yep, we swung one way and it kind of came out to be in the middle at the end of the day. But I think choice in the workplace is here to stay long term. And that's sort of what I think COVID has taught us. And that's probably the one, the one and maybe only, I don't know, bright spot, right? Uh, We as humans have gained from this thing that's happened to us uh, collectively.
1: Just to be clear, when you say choice in the workplace, you mean?
0: Whether that's what times you're working, whether that's where you're working, whether that's where you're living to do the work, right? It's that choice of, of like, take away the the old, the old adage of Monday through Friday, nine to five in the office, right? Like that, that is no longer the era that we're living in. And I think COVID probably exasperated and amplified a change in business, at least accelerated by five to 10 years is what I'm guessing, right? We were already on that path, right? You were starting to see much more flexibility in the workplace, certainly than you had 10 years before, but it did nothing but amplify and accelerate those changes. And I think those changes are here to stay. Maybe not always as a extreme as we kind of, you know, again, look at the spectrum, but I, I don't see that shift changing given, you know, technology and the fact that I think for the most part as a global workforce, we've proved we can do a lot of work at home and we can hustle.
1: What do you see, Beth, as key areas for us as change practitioners in terms of innovating as we move forward in this shifting yeah. world?
0: You know, I think, you know, technology also, like how do we leverage technology? We, we sort of had to during COVID. The, the whiteboards of the world were taken away and we had to go to virtual right, whiteboards, whether we liked it or not. So I've been looking at technology maybe in a wholly different way from a change practitioner and what kind of digital accelerators can we apply to our work, right, to either accelerate or amplify what we're doing. So we've got a, a you know a couple that we're working with, ones around um, measuring in activating behavior change. No surprise there. Uh, and the other one really is around how do you have large scaled virtual conversations where everyone has a place in the room, if you will, the virtual room, and it's anonymous and it's safe. Um, and so those are kind of just two different examples of digital accelerators that we're just weaving into our work, right? It's sort of a natural, like, like we're evolving, we're all evolving, and we've got to allow for different perspectives to show up in this extremely remote virtual choice rate right, kind of demanding workplace that we're in. And so that's that's a little bit of what we're leaning into right now is is how can we accelerate and amplify our work for technology?
1: Beth, anything else that you'd like to um, speak to our audience on before we wrap this up?
0: You know, I think at the end of the day, like I through this whole experience, you know, I've been through a couple of recessions and, you know, all those kind of things and I remember when uh, the pandemic first hit and I was like, oh boy, okay, here we go again. Like, okay, we've been through something like this before, right? Um, a couple of times through. And, and while this one was uniquely different, uh, at the end of the day, I kept going back to the core, like we're, we're humans, we're humans, our, our neuroscience has not changed, right? Like at the end of the day, like treat us like humans um, was kind of my, my core staple. And, and I think that's that's very true where we are right now. Um, so I think it's it's pay attention to the people, right? If you don't ask, you don't know. If you don't know, you can't do anything about it. Um, So measurement to me at the end of the day is is the critical step. When it comes to change management, we have to understand the perceptions, where people are coming from, where they're at in order to successfully move them forward.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah.
0: Thank you for the time, Brian. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Change Management Review podcast with Brian Gorman, managing editor of the Change Management Review and Beth Montag-Schmaltz. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, and like us on LinkedIn.